Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Pitch Reeves, and today's an interview I'm really excited for. I've been thinking about this one for a while, and I'm excited to have Jim Rausch, a longtime entertainment executive. Uh, he's been the co or the executive producer of a wide variety of major shows, including Encore and Showtime at the Apollo, as well as being the co-executive producer of Shark Tank, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, and The Voice, where he won Emmys in 2013 and 2015. He was also the executive in charge of production on Family Feud, Celebrity Family Feud, and the ESPYs, and he now owns his own production company, Big PV. He's recently become the latest investor in Subnation, as well as becoming a senior advisor to the company. Subnation is a leading media and brand advisory company and has helped brands like Marvel, Volkswagen, and L'Oreal help create gaming and esports strategies. The company is also expanding really quickly since we last had uh, their chairman on the show in December of 2019. In addition to Jim, Subnation has also hired a bunch of new execs, including a new COO, a new head of brand partnerships, and a new head of influencer relations. All those hires came from major roles at various gaming and entertainment companies. On the show, we're going to be talking about how gaming fits into the direction of modern culture and modern entertainment, why Jim invests in Subnation, and more. Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into Subnation, I've watched tons of hours of Shark Tank over the years, and I know you haven't worked on the show for a while, but I have to ask you about it. For people unfamiliar with the show, five really incredibly rich investors hear business pitches. The show's headliner is probably Mark Cuban, but also has Damon John, Kevin O'Leary, and Lori Grenier, among a rotating host of other multimillionaires. My question for you, Jim, is who do you think is playing for the most on the camera on the show? You know, Whose personality changes when the camera goes off, or are they all kind of themselves up there? Um, I have to say, I, I feel like they're themselves up there, you know, that what you see is what you get, which is a compliment to them because they're all, you know, they all come off to me as great people. Even when Kevin O'Leary, you know, plays Mr. Wonderful, um, you know, their personalities are, are them. Kevin was definitely the name I had in mind when writing <laughs> out that question, uh, just as he's known for being a bit of a heel on the group, uh, Mr. Wonderful trying to offer out deals. And uh, often Mark Cuban is very publicly, just don't take that deal. Don't take that deal. But Yeah, I would say the, uh, the Mr. Wonderful aspect of him is probably, you know, a little bit over the top, you know, but when he, the rest of the time, he is what he is, you know. And like I said, they're all great people, you know. They've been, uh, the overall show and the production has been very lucky to have those six with them because they're just great people. They definitely are. It's had a lot of amazing moments over the year. I remember my business teacher uh, way back in high school, senior year of high school, would, uh, whatever she was probably hung over, I now view from a, from a retrospective lens, but she would play episodes of Shark Tank during our classes uh, whenever she didn't want to uh, teach a business lesson. And I, it was always the best day of class. Oh, yeah. Oh, you just took me back to eighth grade. It made me think maybe my eighth grade teacher was hungover when she'd just play movies for us and disappear for an hour and a half. <laughs> I had a, I have a teacher friend. You know, I'm reaching that age where, where a lot of my friends are entering the industry. I'm like, oh, wow, that's she's a teacher. And it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> just viewing things from a bit of a different lens that adulthood brings you. And she's like, yeah, when the TV comes in, we're probably hungover. And I'm like, yeah. okay. They're napping for an hour and a half. 
Sure, why not? And it works for the business class. So I'm sure Shark Tank was a godsend because it's like, what well, you can't oh, put yeah. on a nature documentary in a business class. So she was finally like, aha, I have my show. Perfect. <laughs> Fantastic show to be a part of. And my, I'll tell you a funny thing too. My wife um, is a senior producer on the show. And so she's been a producer on it. She just got back from the bubble, you know, when they taped it in Vegas. She's been a producer on it for eight or nine years, and she was an AP on it for the couple of years before that. Um, I probably went through knowing intimately 20 to 25 products a year because when they send them to them and, you know, to, and the producers test them out, I can't tell you how many barbecue sauces and salad dressings <laughs> and daddies and uh, squ- what's the... Squatty potty or whatever the oh. guess, whatever. <laughs> the little stool you put in front of the toilet. To... She brought that home, and I go, "What is this?" And she starts telling me, and I go, "Okay," and it worked. <laughs> yeah, I'm embarrassed to say I owned one uh, as well. Uh, maybe, maybe one of Shark Tank's greatest successes it was a product I definitely didn't know I needed until I believe I saw it on that show. I swear by Scrub Daddies. I love those things too. <laughs> Some really great products. It's it's very funny now that Shark Tanks existed for so long. There are some really notable examples of major companies. I think Ring was was an early yeah. pitch that that everybody passed on. Actually, yeah. and the, it's the the main doorbell brand now, bought out by Amazon, uh, I believe, and everyone passed on it. Any more of those stories of things where uh, the people on set are like, "Oh man, I really wish that was a that was what I missed." Um, I think because there's so many products out there that did well, I think Ring is probably the big one that everyone goes, damn, uh, that they didn't. But I'll tell you a quick story, too, about the show, even that you will never see. You know, we knew when we were taping the pilot that it was one of those moments when one entrepreneur came out that we go, oh, my God, this show could be really, really good an entrepreneur who had a product that basically was um, where you had to get surgery to install a, uh, a microphone or, you know, some sort of computer chip in your brain, uh, you know, that you had to go in and in the back of your neck, get surgery to get this done. Um, and I can't remember the details of the product, but one of the sharks said, okay, so that's a a small battery that you're putting in there. What happens when the battery dies? And the guy goes, well, you'll have to, you know, get surgery again to put it back in <laughs> and the battery. In. And everyone's like, are you kidding me? You're telling me that we have to get surgery every couple of years to do this. And the guy just went nuts on him and lost it and had a meltdown on set about it all. He was so flustered by it all. And, you know, and I feel bad for the guy, but Seeing that, you go, oh, the show is going to be huge. <laughs> that's that's an interesting product for yeah. sure. And the other thing that happened during it when we were getting ready to do the pilot and then go into series, one of the execs that I worked with at Mark Burnett said, what if we uh, wanted to have real sharks on the set instead of you know, a video wall? So I had to spend three or four months researching how much sharks cost, how much the upkeep is, 
all of that, and I started putting together new numbers. I mean, I was talking to, you know, I think at the time, someone at SeaWorld, you know, about, <laughs> about all of this. And they go, oh, no, they'll die. Um, and then I threw the question out to the people. I said, okay, well, we're only taping over three months. What do we do with these for the next nine months? And no one could give an answer. And I go, this is probably a really bad idea. Yeah, let's just use screens instead. I go, okay, thank you. It's got to be really interesting to be in a position where you could just throw out, hey, what if we had live sharks and now it becomes somebody's job to figure out if that's attainable to do? Oh, I got to know more about shark care than I ever wanted to know. Probably a good call. I believe sharks have to keep swimming to breathe at all times and uh, would be a tough situation and probably just a lot of headache. Yeah, the video works just as well, I think. I think so. I think so. You could have told me they were real sharks. I might have actually believed you. (laughs) Uh, So this is a gaming podcast. and I love Shark Tank. And in fact, I love a lot of the other shows that you've worked on as well. I spent a lot of time watching Are You Smart in a Fifth Grader, The Voice, Family Feud, The Espies, uh, a ton of really interesting programs over the years. Now, as you work for, as you advise a company focused on the gaming space, but one that also has a background in entertainment and TV, uh, how do you see the rise of gaming, especially from your background in entertainment and, and TV? Well, everyone's seen the stats out there about how games are outselling movie tickets. And, you know, this is before Corona, obviously. Um, and that's been the trend for what, five, six years and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so people better take notice of gaming in the gaming world because it's just getting bigger, you know, and when technology advances and it becomes easier to, you know, have multiplayer games and everything, it's just becoming a bigger market all over the world. And, you know, when you get uh, gamers becoming celebrities in their own right, even outside the gaming world, like a a ninja, you know, uh, they're taking over. You know, so everyone needs to kind of pay attention to the gaming world uh, because it's just getting bigger and bigger. And television is, you know, a natural place for them to expand in. They're going to expand into movie roles as well, I'm sure. Um, So it's a, a market that has been tamped, but not near anywhere it's potential yet. Absolutely. It's the source of so many major influencers and Ninja's definitely the headliner, but we've seen a lot of other people, you know, he does, uh, he appears on late night TV first, and then suddenly there's quite a few gamers that start appearing on the Jimmy Kimmel's and the late night TVs of the world. Uh, You start seeing uh, them appear in Super Bowl commercials. I think Ninja appeared, but also so did the Fortnite World Cup winner Booga, and uh, so did Tim the Tapman, I believe, in some Super Bowl commercials. And you start to see gamers just uh, existing in these spaces that they didn't used to exist. So I, I, yeah. I mean, you're preaching to the choir here on an esports network podcast, but uh, it everyone needs to have a gaming strategy or be aware of this space, uh, no matter really what industry you work in. And, and Subnation has done a great job of creating those strategies for brands like Volkswagen and L'Oreal, where it's like, okay, we're a massive brand in an industry that doesn't necessarily, uh, is not adjacent to gaming like a technology brand or a gaming peripheral brand, uh, 
but we need some sort of gaming and esports strategy. Why did you choose to invest in Subnation in particular? Um, well, first and foremost, I knew uh, Seven, Seven Volpon, who is their, I believe his title is CEO. Um, I've known Seven for about 10 to 12 years. Uh, ironically, when I was at Burnett, he wrote the theme song to one of the shows um, that I did there back in the day, a show called Bully Beatdown. Um, so I knew him back then as a music composer. And a couple of years ago, we got in contact through another mutual friend and just stayed in contact on things. And, you know, he started telling me about the company he was with. And then when Subnation came around, we started talking more and more about what he was doing with Subnation and in the uh, video game market. And it just piqued my interest because, like I said, I think gaming is going to be, it is huge and it's going to be huge. And as we start talking about, you know, the shows I was doing and what they're doing over there, and we start talking about a couple of other projects as well. And then he brought up if I'd ever be interested in working with them over there. And I said, 110%, sign me up. Um, and that's how that, you know, situation came about. And then I met uh, Doug. Uh, who has a, you know, huge marketing background and is just, you know, a marketing savant and clicked with both of them. And, you know, I did it because of A, what they're doing, but even more than that, the A++ was the relationship with those guys and believing that they're going to boom with what you're doing. You mentioned some of the stuff they've done in the past outside of the gaming world, you know, and some of the stuff that they're they're talking about doing even before I came on board when they sent me a sample list of the projects, uh, they were high end. And, you know, I came, luckily I came from a background of working with Mark Burnett for 10 years who, you know, the, a talk about a marketing genius. He was a marketing genius with everything he did, but he also had a gold standard on production value on shows. And so working with him and, you know, by osmosis, you know, learning from him and then, you know, just producing high-end shows with him and then talking to Seven and Doug about what they were doing, I said, this is a perfect fit. So when they offered me the investment opportunity and to be an advisor, it was a no-brainer for me. Absolutely. I know you can't totally lift the hood off of what y'all have in the works, uh, but could you give like a high level overview of sort of what Subnation hopes to be accomplishing in the space going forward and what you especially uh, hope to be advising them on? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the projects we're talking about, I call it uh, gaming adjacent. So, you know, we're not, you know, obviously producing games, but events and shows around the gaming world so you can you know think in your head about what that would be and if you threw one out there i'd say yeah we're probably looking at doing you know something in that world but you know think of unscripted shows out there and how how they could be adapted to the gaming world that's what we're looking at you know live events um you know following gamers around shows about their lifestyles all of that you know, I, I liken it to, uh, you know, where 
the NFL was, you know, a few years ago where, you know, NFL players or WWE is a good example of WWE when, you know, WWE wrestlers started doing movies, it popped out there, you know, and some of them did some terrible movies, but, you know, <laughs> they, uh, you know, The Rock and uh, Dave Batista and all them doing movies, you know, it became commonplace to see them out there like that. I think that's where the, the gamers are going. Interesting. How do you see the, uh, you know, you think of WWE, you think of very bombastic personalities, The yeah. Rock, The Undertaker, you know, these just larger than life personalities in, in general. Do you feel like gamers are on their way to developing that same type of branded energy around their Twitch stream? Um, I would never go so far as to say they're going to be like WWE wrestlers in that way, because I don't know too many gamers who are on steroids. Um, <laughs> but uh, you look no, just at, Adderall. Yeah, you, yeah, that's true. Uh, look at the ones who have popped out there so far, you know, and their personalities and everything. And I think, you know, part of the gaming world that's going to morph out there, and this is just my opinion, um, you know, successful gamers are going to start taking acting acting classes and getting marketing managers and everything to boost up their persona uh, to be out there in the mainstream more. It certainly seems like we're treading that way. Now that those opportunities started opening up, most gamers are like, wait, how, how do I end up in those spaces that they are? How do I get those roles? How do I get those brand partnerships? Uh, and, you know, I'd, I'd appreciate them taking acting classes from a media perspective. I'd, I'd start with media training at the yeah. first bit, uh, just figure out how to, how to talk to the media, and then keep developing that. Uh, and it's really, it, it then pays dividends to your content as well, to your point where uh, these gamers are creating their own content, be that a Twitch stream, be those YouTube videos. Uh, maybe they have an editor who helped out, but uh, that can all pay dividends down the road. How do you see that balance between uh, people creating content around gamers and the gaming space where almost all the content has been generally self-created, maybe working with one editor or a small team, but mostly they're doing their own stuff. They're, they're setting their own stream up by themselves, going live and, and doing it. So how do you see the balance between creating content from third party from entertainment companies uh, versus the personal content creation that's driven gaming for so long? Well, I think their personal content is always going to be out there because that's how you get to know their personalities and, you know, no company coming in is going to be able to really get their personality out there like they do. But in terms of the other projects, you know, that we're talking about doing and that other people are going to do with them, they're not going to be able to shoot their own, you know, concert series that's around a gaming event, or they're not going to be able to shoot their own, lifestyle show like we're talking about doing and everything. So they are going to need, you know, companies to come in and help them. And they've done a great job getting where they're at. You know, I, I think it's amazing that they're getting all these viewers watching them play games and talk about games and everything. Um, but just like anything else, they're going to need, you know, more help to get bigger projects out there. Definitely. It's really interesting watching gaming and gaming adjacent personalities do 
uh, live content in particular, not just Twitch streams. So last week or so, uh, a very popular YouTuber named Mr. Beast went live on YouTube and he was doing a trivia competition with a bunch of major influencers. I think the uh, D'Amelio family from TikTok was on there and a whole bunch of other YouTubers, Twitch streamers, uh, and things like that. And there was some definite production issues. It's very hard to do a live event where you bring in 22 different live streams. And so... Mm. Uh, it feels like there's a big opportunity there for uh, experienced entertainment people to help create those type of streams because that still crossed over a million viewers. That was with uh, some technical difficulties, some issues, uh, some things not quite going right, uh, a little bit disjointed. Uh, so it feels like there's a ton of opportunity for live event creation, uh, tapping into all those different influencers. Absolutely. And first, I want to say I'm very upset with Mr. Beast that he tried to do it by himself because he's taking work away from me by doing that. Um, second, I'm kidding. Uh, second, you're absolutely right. You know, it takes a big team to put together live events like that. Um, and you just said it yourself that there were technical di difficulties. But again, I applaud him for doing it. Um, but that's where, you know, production companies come into play because no one person can put on an event like that. Yeah, it was it was about halfway through, and he just he just shoulders drop his head. He goes, "Man, live events are hard." I'm like, <laughs> ain't that the truth, man? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> they are, but they are, you know, like a video game in that you drink a lot of Red Bull while you're putting them on. <laughs> got to get your G fuel going on. You got to. <laughs> yeah. And there is something to that live feeling, you know, that energy that just pops into you when you're going live. It, it does. Yeah, I got my degree in broadcast and uh, there's something different when the camera's gone. Now, I don't proclaim to work nearly in the same scope that, that you have, but uh, there's something, uh, the atmosphere in those rooms is, is really interesting. When the, when the camera goes live, uh, the producer stops counting out loud. It goes to the hand signals. It's a, it's a cool feeling. Well, it's a great feeling, you know, and just seeing when that light does go on, it's, kind of a cool feeling knowing, wow, the whole world is seeing this, or at least a couple hundred, couple hundred thousand people are seeing it. Or a million, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. That's the goal. That's yeah. the goal. Uh, so I want to be conscious of your time, but I have one last question. Uh, especially during the spring, we had quite a few podcasts, especially with uh, my friend Manny, about uh, all the esports that had started taking over mainstream TV. You know, in spring, when every single sport was shut down. Uh, there was a large gaps in content. A lot of the TV networks started broadcasting esports events, and there was some mixed reactions. Some really big wins. I think the NBA 2K Players Tournament was successful. A lot of the iRacing events were super successful, consistently gathering over a million viewers, which was uh, at the time the most that esports had ever seen. Probably still is the most esports had ever seen on traditional TV. And so, I'm curious from your perspective, as somebody who's worked in that industry for a long time. Do you think esports will ever totally take off on linear television or will it always be first and foremost on digital platforms? I think it can 100% take off on mainstream TV. Um, 20 some years ago when Survivor came out, uh, when people go, oh, a reality show, is that going to work on mainstream TV? Well, guess what happened? Uh, guess what? It worked. And then American Idol came about. Guess what? It worked. Uh, so if the viewers are there, 
it'll make it. And if the entertainment factor is there, it'll make it. And that's one of the things within this. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about this and they said, uh, you know, what kind of shows do you want to do in the gaming world? And I said, first and foremost, they have to be of the highest production value because gamers, the games that are out there are amazing technologically and visually. Gamers are not going to watch something that is lower than the level that they're used to watching six to eight or 20 hours a day when they're playing games. So, you know, the, the production value has to be out there for it. And that, you know, in middle America will watch it if there's a story that they can relate to as well. You know, you're not going to get a 60 year old who's never played video games before to watch something if characters aren't there that they're interested in. So you got to get the, you know, it's got to be something that people can relate to in some way. It's a really interesting point. And we've seen a lot of esports companies try to create TV programs and uh, hit or miss some that have been fairly yeah. successful. But right now we have uh, Ven, a new one launched from Ariel Horn and some of the other team there uh, try to do that broadcast feel. And it's doing all right. They raised a lot of money uh, last week. So that's that's always good. Uh it's a really interesting point there is that your production quality, you're not competing against other gaming shows. You're actually competing against the games themselves. And the games themselves are almost operating like TV and movies. You think of a game like The Last of Us, uh, where suddenly you're almost playing a movie in the way that game feels and looks and the storyline and the dialogue. Or games like Fortnite that are constantly changing, adding in new locations, new characters, new uh, new weapons, new modes, new ways to play. That almost feels like a modern TV show where it's, uh, oh, okay, now we have this area and now there's, there's this big moment and the season ends with this huge cliffhanger. Oh, wow, this all happened. Uh, you can definitely see the influences of TV and movies and film in how modern video games are being created. Very true. You know, you look at uh, the films that have come out, you know, with video games in them, the TV shows that have video games in them and everything. Uh, a funny thing, when you just mentioned about the NBA 2K uh, players, my 19-year-old son, who is a video game fanatic, was playing NBA 2K one day. And I walked by, you know, just glanced at the TV, you know, just for a hot second. And I was like, wait, NBA hasn't started yet. That's how good the game looks. I thought for a quick second that he was watching. I couldn't see that he had the controller in his hand. I thought he was watching a basketball game. You know, the, the value, the quality of the games is so great that I thought it was real-life players out there. It's remarkable. It, oh, it's amazing. It's really, truly. The sports simulations, too, they get a lot of flack for, for not updating a ton. And it's, I think, part of the reason why they get that flack. Some of it's deserved, no doubt. Uh, but some of it is also, they're pretty close to modeling real life. And it's very hard to keep advancing closer to modeling real life in a video game format. And so year over year, it's like, well, that doesn't look that different. It's like, well, there's not a ton they can do to make it look a ton yep. better. They hit the mark. They were at 99.5% five years ago. They're not going to advance that much more, you know, over time because they're already at such a high level. 
Absolutely. I think if those games went uh, where they were not, I mean, you know, they still sell like absolute crazy, but if they were not $60 every single year, that's the main reason why I see people. I think that's why they get flack for not updating is because you, you ask people to spend another $60. You're like, well, how different is this from the last game I played? If it was uh, a one-time fee and then people were spending on in-game purchases, like a lot of popular esports, popular gaming titles are doing, I could see those games being uh, more not necessarily successful because they're plenty successful, but more popular and more mainstream in the general gaming community. And just being like, oh, this game is a technological masterpiece and not something that isn't updated year over year. But yeah, if it was $20 a year after you bought it, you know, three years ago until they had major advances, I could see that. But by the way, EA Sports is calling you right now to cuss you out for saying that. Todd, Todd, I swear I'm nice. You were on this podcast recently and I was very nice to you. But uh, yeah, it's it, I, I'm big in the Madden world. That was the game that I took to the most. And yeah. this year it's it's rated 0.1 on Metacritic uh, because there was a just a brigade of fans all being like, we're rating this zero uh, because it hasn't changed at all from the last year. And so uh, there is a little bit of it, part of it's EA's public reputation, not great, unfortunately, uh, but there's something to be said there where uh, I could, I think they could do maybe a change in model, maybe a change in, in how they approach the game, maybe a change in how they sell the game uh, that would put them back in the good graces of fans. Because they EA wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that EA was actually beloved by most gamers yeah. in the days of NFL Street and NBA 2K, or that's Take 2. But, uh, you know, I think Madden is just at such a high level. It's amazing to watch. I mean, what more do you want him to do? Do you want Tom Brady to deliver the game to you? Preferably, yes, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tom, you know, dropping off like uh, Amazon does now. <laughs> yeah, I'd like for him to spiral it directly through my window yeah. if possible. No. <laughs> that would be ideal. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining the show. It was great talking to you. I really enjoyed this conversation. I want to give you one more chance to uh, plug your production company, Big PV, plug Subnation. Uh, just let people know where you want them to be following, looking out for in the future. Yeah. Uh, first, I'll start with Subnation. Like I said, uh, love the guys, love all the projects that we're talking about together. Uh, you know, give us six months. Hopefully we're going to be getting some uh, really good stuff out there that everyone will enjoy. And the biggest thing I think with it is getting the respect of the gaming world. Once we get that, you know, it'll make it a lot easier to, uh, to get them out there. And then uh, with my company, you know, things knock on wood are going great, you know, getting ready to do the NFL honors again, even during Corona times, which is a challenge in itself. Um, getting ready to do Encore again, again, during Corona times, a challenge. Um, I am surprised though, Mitch, you didn't want to know anything about uh, any of the voice characters. I, that's a, okay. You know what? I wanted to move over to gaming and I prioritized Shark Tank, but if you have some, some secret deets on the voice characters, I would love to hear uh, them as well. First of all, uh, also the greatest group in the world. Um, New with that show, you know, I've been fortunate to work on about three or four projects that on the first day of taping, I would go, oh my God, 
this is going to be great. The voice was another one. I already told you about Shark Tank being fantastic. The very first day we did blind auditions for the voice on season one, the whole crew walked out of there just going, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. And seeing that banter between Adam Levine and Blake Shelton, it was amazing. <laughs> and you talk about characters and nice people. I always uh, look at people who treat my mom like gold as people that I love. My mom came to the set one day of The Voice and Blake Shelton just treated her like gold. So he will always... Uh, you can't say anything bad about him in front of me because I will defend him on that. Same thing with uh, Mark Burnett. Mark Burnett at my wedding uh, talked to my mom for a half hour, 45 minutes, you know, which can't say anything bad about him either. How people treat, especially celebrities and incredibly important people, treat the people around them and uh, especially the people adjacent to the people around them, like your mom or... Uh, siblings spouses all those types of things it says a lot about a person because there's oh yeah uh, it, it it takes it to another level beyond okay i work with this person i have to be cordial it's like okay no I actually enjoy this person i want to learn about the people around them i think that says a lot about a person yeah and how people you know both those people that i just mentioned went over and above in talking to my mom yeah you know, <laughs> a lot to me about their character which was very funny too because after she met him, and it was, you know, within a couple months of each other, uh, after she met him and everything, you know, my mom at the time lived in Idaho. And I said, Mom, you know, do you want to come out here? And she, well, and that's the way my mom talks, a little soft voice and everything. Are you going to be taping the voice at that time? Is Mark going to be there? And I'm like, wait, you only want to come out to hang with them and see them again? <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's amazing yeah it's uh that's really awesome what part of idaho uh are you i assume uh, your family's from no my uh sister lives up there so my mom moved up there because my sister has four kids and they all live in that area uh in boise area gotcha gotcha very cool yeah i've spent quite a bit of time in eastern oregon that often uh cross the border over into idaho and been in yep. boise a few times it's unappreciated as a state. It's a cooler state that people give it credit for, I think. I don't think it, it enters people's radar much, but I actually very like, I like Idaho. It's a beautiful oh, state. If you're into the outdoors, it's a beautiful place. Oh, yeah. That whole area, uh, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana is just just incredible. Just incredible. Totally yeah. uh, my favorite like outdoor area in all of, all of America. Yeah, it's gorgeous countryside. Absolutely. Gorgeous rivers, too. Great rafting. Great yeah. rafting. I love it. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. I wish you the best of luck with Subnation and with all the other awesome things that you're working on. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this show. If you want to learn more about Jim, you can visit his guest page underneath the show. And I will be back uh, next week with another great episode on Halo Esports. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.